So, hey, last episode, we finished the second rotation of book types, which means this episode should be something off the sci-fi fantasy shelf you've maybe never read or even heard of. However, I got it in my head that it might be fun to cover some other types of books now and then. This episode, we're mixing it up with School Mermaid, a graphic novel, and my introduction to blood-curdling supernatural horror. Hello, Earthlings and Spacelings. Welcome to the podcast that may be pronounced fantasy and may be pronounced fantagy. Who knows? It's the home of science fiction and fantasy books you'll probably never read and probably haven't heard of. I'm your host, Erica Brickley, and I'm absolutely in love with books. See so for yourself by visiting my Instagram at Erica Brickley, spelled E-R-I-K-A, B as in boy, R-I-C-K-L-E-Y. Follow me there and subscribe to me here so you can keep up with the podcast. On to the content! I went back and forth on whether or not to write this episode. In the end, the deciding factor was the passion I feel for today's book. Let's rewind to 2009 or so, when I was in high school. Japanese comic books and graphic novels were really starting to get popular. I live in America, by the way. You could find them at Barnes & Noble booksellers, or you could look them up for free online. Publishing companies were just getting started on producing translated versions for the overseas market, and they hadn't yet gotten the hang of catching fan translations and scans, so there was a lot of stuff for free online. As a side note, I still have several series from the 90s and early 2000s that were printed backwards for American audiences, since Japanese books go right to left instead of left to right. The characters look like they're all (laughs) left-handed. They also put a lot of effort into redoing the onomatopoeia in English. They feel like a time capsule from a very particular time in comic media. Let me back up and mention that there are a few different names for Japanese comic books due to various languages being involved as they've grown in popularity. Growing up, I'd call them comic books because that quickly communicated to friends and family members that I was reading something through images as well as text. Once those people understood what I was talking about, I could use the term manga, M-A-N-G-A, like they do in Japan. Though as a kid I said manga, like mango. The Chinese characters used to write this word loosely translate as pictures of people, and it's a specific term used for long-form visual stories dating back beyond World War II. Nowadays, in English, we generally call these graphic novels, since many non-Japanese and non-Asian artists have joined in. We're no longer just talking about those illustrated girls with the big, blinky, sparkly anime eyes. Oh, right, anime is short for animation and is the TV adaptation of manga drawings. Back to today's book, it is one I discovered on a manga reading website while I was in high school. I think it was called One Manga. This website didn't have a very big library, just a single page of titles to scroll through. I chose what to click on and maybe read based on the name alone. I found things like Zetman and Love Monster on this site and never knew what genre I would get. The same was true for School Mermaid. I expected it to be something like Mermaid Melody, which is a magical girl story but I was shocked when I saw the actual cover. Before I describe it, I will quickly let you know that I am not covering all five volumes of this graphic novel. I am only going to talk about the first three chapters that author Yoshitomi Akihito wrote and drew, which were all that existed when I was a teenager, and are, in my opinion, the best of all the semi-self-contained stories in the series. So, let's describe the cover image for what is essentially a short story. In a bare, dim hallway lined with windows and sliding doors, as is typical for a Japanese school, 
There are two young women standing side by side facing the viewer. They're dressed in regular clothes, not sailor uniforms, and are wearing gloves and backpacks, and are carrying weapons. On the left is a girl with glasses and a ponytail with a crowbar in her hand. On the right, a girl with shorter hair grips a kitchen knife. Their expressions are blank, staring straight ahead. Behind them, where the dim light fades to darkness, lit partly by blood-red safety lights, another girl stands obscured by the shadows. Again, try to imagine being a young high school girl like I was, clicking on a name like School Mermaid, hoping for fish scales and jewelry and maybe a little drama, and seeing this. (laughs) Two girls staring at me with their black eyes. I was in shock, then quickly went to look for something else. Back then, I really wasn't into horror stuff. I could barely watch slasher flicks or even supposedly sweet films like Edward Scissorhands. Granted, my definition of horror was both too narrow and too broad, and later I would learn to appreciate great stories like The Thing, Alien, and E.T. But in high school, I firmly believed that that was not the genre for me. And yet, I found myself thinking about that cover image. I revisited the webpage to read the story description. It said something like, There's a rumor at Yoshiko's school that mermaids appear in the pool at night, and that if you eat one, your love will come true. What? This is a story about eating mermaids? I wanted something like Splash or Mermaid Melody. This sounded more like Rumiko Takahashi's Mermaid Saga about immortal demons. No way was I reading that. And yet, I finally caved. (laughs) It was only three chapters long. I could read that in no time. So, that's what I did. As expected, it only took a chunk out of my afternoon. But what I didn't expect was how long the story beats would live inside my head, replaying, refreshing my horror. And much as it disturbed me, there was something addictive about that macabre feeling. I told friends about it. I explained it to people who didn't care. I wanted to witness someone else getting the same shocks I did. Well, dear Earthlings and Spacelings, you might not be able to read an official English translation of School Mermaid right now, but I'll try to get you a bit closer. Please keep in mind that I am reading and translating from my Japanese copy. Bilingual listeners who seek out a book will have to forgive me for paraphrasing. And please forgive my pronunciation of names. (laughs) It's really hard to switch between my American accent and the right voice register to say Japanese names perfectly. Leave me a comment on YouTube if in future videos you'd like me to include a section explaining how to properly pronounce Japanese names. Chapter 1 Yoshiko and Haruko are walking through a shopping district after school, still wearing their uniforms and carrying book bags. Haruko says that she's told her parents that she's staying at Yoshiko's house overnight, and Yoshiko has said the opposite. The next thing they need to do is go shopping at the hardware store. They wander around, browsing, until Haruko finds the kitchen knife display case. Yeah, that should be good, Yoshiko says when she joins her there. With these, we can kill them easily. The story really started a few days ago, when the girls were on cleaning duty in the pool locker room, and Haruko discovered an old notebook in an unused locker. Their high school has an urban legend that says, At midnight, mermaids appear in the school pool, and if you eat the flesh of a mermaid, your love will come true. Yoshiko and Haruko never really believed that dumb legend, but accounts are written in the notebook. It seems to have passed through the hands of many girls, and each time more details about mermaids were added. In the hardware store, the girls check the notebook to see if a knife will do the trick, and it seems it should. Haruko wonders if maybe a metal bat would be good. Yoshiko thinks that a crowbar would be better. 
Ah, you're probably right, Haruko says. They pay for their choices, laughing about how heavy the bags are, and get a soda on their way home. At Haruko's house, they change out of their school uniforms. The boy you like is Ogura from the other class, right? Yoshiko giggles. You knew? She asks. And you like Tanaka? Yeah, Haruko confirms. But why? Yoshiko asks. Didn't you just start seeing somebody? Yeah, Haruko says reluctantly. There was kind of no helping it. Yoshiko lets it go, a little surprised that Haruko with her big glasses is so popular. She's also a little clueless, because Yoshiko has to point out that a skirt might not be the best idea when they're sneaking into the school at night. Dressed in jeans and sneakers, their backpacks full, the girls are ready to leave just after 6pm. Yoshiko, who's been holding on to the notebook, checks the facts one more time. It says the mermaids will be out from sunset to sunrise. Haruko gets up to check what time the sunrise will be, but stops when she hears Yoshiko exclaim loudly. Nervously, Haruko asks what's wrong, and Yoshiko explains that she just noticed that it looks like a page of the notebook has been torn out. For a moment, the girls don't know what to make of that, or the note scribbled with an arrow pointing towards that missing page that says, The Worst. Yoshiko has a bad feeling, desperately wondering what could have been written there, and Haruko agrees that it's a curious thing. However, there isn't time to worry about it. Haruko's mom will be getting back soon, and they need to be gone when she is. The girls walk to school in the dark and make their way to the pool. The quiet reminds Yoshiko of another legend about a girl named Ohara a bit older than them. People say she tried to eat the flesh of a mermaid, Yoshiko explains, but she got eaten instead. I wonder if the missing page said anything about that. Stop it, Yoshiko, Haruko begs, gripping her crowbar in fear. Standing by the pool, the girls recite the chant written in the notebook. Miss Mermaid, Miss Mermaid, oh won't you please, make my love come true, give up your blood and flesh for my sake. For a moment, there is silence as the girls stare into the dark water. Then, Yoshiko spins around, having seen someone out of the corner of her eye in one of the school windows. They go to check it out. Haruko knows a window with a broken lock, but asks Yoshiko to lead the way. Yoshiko is scared, but she climbs in first and is met with an unbelievable sight. The hallway is filled with normal-looking girls her age, dressed in school-sanctioned swimsuits, the first letter of their surnames written on their chests. More shocking than that is what they are doing. Standing around and sitting, smiling at her, some of them emerging from walls or slipping into the floor as if it's pool water. These are mermaids? Yoshiko thinks incredulously. If I eat the flesh of these girls, my love will come true? Still outside, unable to see in, Haruko nervously asks Yoshiko why she hasn't moved. She's interrupted by the sound of splashing as the mermaids flee, disappearing without a trace. Yoshiko, what was that noise just now? Haruko asks. Yoshiko can't bring herself to say anything, merely staring down the empty hall, then at her kitchen knife, remembering, to eat their flesh, I have to kill them. Chapter 2 Lighting their way with a flashlight, Yoshiko tells Haruko about what she saw, but those girls can't seriously be mermaids, right? Suddenly, they come across one lone girl in a swimsuit, dripping wet. In stunned silence, they shine the flashlight at her, and she makes an inhuman noise before passing through the door to a classroom as if it were a waterfall. Hey, Haruko says, wasn't that a mermaid? Uh Uh-huh, 
Yoshiko mumbles, sliding the door open to see where the mermaid went, and gasping when she sees a whole room of them piled on top of each other, smiling their placid, too sweet smiles. Calm down, Yoshiko says quietly to herself. She and Haruko know that what they need to do is find the mermaid with the letter on their swimsuit that corresponds with the boy they like, kill her, and eat her flesh. Yoshiko scans the crowd of girls and spots the one with the O on her chest. That very mermaid dives into the floor with a splash, followed by the rest. They leap through the very walls to race off down the hallway. Yoshiko is about to chase after the O mermaid, since the boy she likes is Ogura, but Haruko stops her. I'm first, right? She cries. Didn't you say you'd help me with mine first? Surprised by this outburst, Yoshiko reluctantly agrees, and they run after the tea mermaids instead. There are three of them, and they sprint and dance around with delight while Haruko chases after them like a madwoman. Yoshiko struggles to keep up with her. Sweating and panting, Haruko throws her crowbar at the mermaids, but they make an acrobatic dive downward, and the crowbar skitters across the wet yet not wet floor. Yoshiko catches up to where Haruko is bent over, trying to catch her breath, cursing to herself. This one and that one, she pants. They run away so fast. Come on, Yoshiko! Are you even trying? Um, it's already about three o'clock, Yoshiko says. This is impossible, and I'm tired. Why don't we try again another time? For a moment, Haruko doesn't respond. The dim light catches her glasses, obscuring her eyes, but not her frown. I came because I want to go out with Tanaka, she says quietly. There are three tea mermaids. It doesn't matter which, just help me catch one. As Haruko walks away, Yoshiko tries again to protest, but just then several hands come up out of the floor. Yoshiko is grabbed and pulled down into the strange wetness of the floor, screaming for help as she splashes and chokes. The mermaids laugh in their squeaky, animal-like way. Looking up at Haruko for help, Yoshiko can hardly believe it when the other girl, stone-faced, says, I don't have much time, you useless girl. Yoshiko continues to scream as her head goes under, then as her feet swing in open air. A moment later, she plops down on the floor below, soaked and coughing and hacking up water that shouldn't be there. Another mermaid approaches her, and she backs up in fright. But then she realizes that it's someone she recognizes. Ohara, the girl who went missing. Chapter 3 Everything Yoshiko thought she knew about the mermaids is shaken when she sees Ohara. Like every other mermaid, she's wearing a school swimsuit and a vapid smile. Yoshiko isn't sure what to do, but she gets spooked and throws her knife at the mermaid. With a look of surprise, Ohara slumps to the floor to hold her injured arm. She whines sadly. Wow, isn't that amazing, Haruko says, coming down the hall. You caught one. Haruko, Yoshiko says, turning to see her. This mermaid, isn't she Ohara? What does that mean? Obviously, it means she turned into a mermaid, Haruko says coldly. You know, I used to come to the school a lot at midnight, but I never saw a mermaid. I didn't have that notebook. Then one day, I saw Ohara at school. She stood by the pool and chanted. She had the notebook with her. Then she did some really strange stuff, chasing things I couldn't see. But it seems like she didn't manage to catch any of them. At sunrise, she disappeared, leaving behind nothing but the notebook. Yoshiko is confused, since Haruko found the notebook just recently with her. But Haruko simply hid it in the locker room so she could pretend to find it later. While Yoshiko tries to understand this, the Ohara mermaid gets to her feet, dripping blood. 
Without hesitation, Haruko lunges forward and beats the mermaid over the head with her crowbar, hitting her again and again and again. Yoshiko screams, asking her to please stop, but the terrible sounds continue until Haruko drops the crowbar. She doesn't even look at Yoshiko crying. You should eat, Haruko says. This is an O mermaid. You can go out with Ogura now. She waits a moment, but Yoshiko has bowed her head and covered her ears and is mumbling to herself. That's what I thought, Haruko says, fetching the kitchen knife. Then I'll take him. As she works, Yoshiko can't bear to watch, but Haruko goes on talking. The seemingly mousy girl speaks frankly, not at all the fearful classmate Yoshiko was getting to know. You know, I've had to eat other mermaids' flesh recently. That's how I ended up with my current boyfriend. The tea mermaids are too fast. I thought that with two of us we could do it. But it was no good. You're too slow. Oh, and about that torn out page? That was me too. Yoshiko finally sits up, only because something is happening to her clothes. They're disintegrating. About what was on that missing page, Haruko continues. It explains that after you recite the chant, you have to eat the flesh of a mermaid. It doesn't matter which one. Otherwise, you'll become a mermaid when the sun rises. Screaming and crying, Yoshiko is embraced by a horde of mermaids rising up out of the floor. Her clothes have melted away to reveal a school swimsuit underneath. Her voice warps, becoming nothing but the animal screech of the mermaids. As the sun rises and Yoshiko is pulled under the surface, Haruko looks back at her with a joyful, satisfied smile blood dripping down her chin. When the hallway is fully lit, nothing remains but the kitchen knife, the crowbar, and the notebook. In the following days, Haruko returns to regular life. She goes through the motions of dating Ogura, the boy Yoshiko liked, because she ate the flesh of an O mermaid. After all, the tea mermaids are so fast, every one of them. But she plans to go out with Tanaka soon. She's already taped the missing page back into the notebook which says in big letters that not eating the flesh of a mermaid by morning means you'll turn into one. You might be wondering why Haruko targeted Yoshiko as a hunting companion when it did no good. Well, there was something Yoshiko didn't know because she hadn't read the missing page. Her full name was Yoshiko Taniguchi, which means her school swimsuit would have a T on it. So, she will become a T mermaid. The next time Haruko goes hunting, she'll be alright by herself, because Yoshiko is so slow. The end. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I was completely devastated by this ending. Not only was I terrified by Haruko's evil smile at the end, which is brilliantly and minimalistically drawn, I was squirming in my chair at the thought of her picking Yoshiko out for the purpose of killing and eating her. I would feel a little silly getting so worked up over a comic book, but based on videos from Super Eyepatch Wolf and Joey the Anime Man I've seen, I don't think I'm alone. <laughs> if blood on the tracks and drip drip can mean a lot to those guys, then I think I can gush about this one. Forgive me for not playing our favorite game this episode, since the cover was drawn by the same artist who wrote the story. I'll just say that I absolutely love the cover image at the beginning of Yoshiko and Haruko's story, while the cover drawn later for the compiled manga volumes, uh, it's a bit on the nose. The colors are warmer, less scary, and some of the later scenes get spoiled if you see volumes 2 and beyond. I will go ahead and spoil some stuff for those of you who will never read this manga, but I won't yet, so you have time to click away. Let's get a little background info on this manga, shall we? 
Yoshitomi Akihito's School Mermaid series began publication in 2013, although the original three chapters came out a lot earlier since I read them while I was still in high school, before 2011. I don't think this manga is known outside of Japan, and in his home country, Akihito is better known for comics like Blue Drop. Looking at the covers, I'd say he tends to write about similar characters in a variety of situations. Although he isn't as well known as others, I think his art style is really conducive to an unsettling high school horror story. Referencing Super Eye Patch Wolf again, he explains in his How Media Scares Us video that a lot of horror manga and anime is too aesthetically pleasing, too pretty. While I enjoy the gory deaths in Another, an anime about a haunted class, I agree with him that the art is almost too pretty sometimes to be truly unsettling. Only occasionally is it truly heart stopping. Largely due to the situation being handled well rather than the animation. Similarly, I love Shiki, but it is a very particular art style and has to push hard to be really scary. Junji Ito's work, on the other hand, is drawn in such a way that even the main characters don't look quite well. His masterpiece, Uzumaki, Spiral in English, starts off with just a normal girl wondering if there's something a bit off about her hometown. But the simple opening scene of her standing on a hill gives the reader a sense of unease. She is pretty and straightforward looking, and yet a bit, like I said, unwell, perhaps spiritually. Ito's interpretation of Frankenstein is also incredible for similar reasons, never hesitating to reach into that dark visual realm. Akihito's artwork is not as disturbing as Ito's, let's be clear about that, but he does capture something about life in Japan that is very specific. As of 2023, the majority of people there are ethnically Japanese or East Asian. Unlike anime characters, they tend to have a similar type of face, similar eye colors, and similar hair, and Akihito's style in School Mermaid reflects that. These are normal girls at a normal school investigating an urban legend on the off chance that they'll get to go out with their crush. <laughs> While Akihito is a man writing about lots and lots of young women, I have to give him props for writing something that I think would be appealing to teenage girls, not just straight men wanting to read about ladies in swimsuits. It's not at all eye candy, and the characters are all different and thought out. The sexiness is kept to a level that mostly feels conducive to the story and is confined to the mermaids, adding to how strange they are. Their little smiles, their acrobatics, their habits of lying about draped over each other. It's almost like a parody of an anime beach episode. There's a stark contrast between the mermaids and the girls chasing them. Notably, the sailor uniforms worn by high school girls like Yoshiko and Haruko are simple and innocent rather than drawn to be sexy or overly cute. They look like real uniforms, not something out of a magical girl anime or a shonen battle show. They wear a white collared blouse, a black sweater vest thing, a black skirt, a simple ribbon bow, high socks. The girls actually spend very little time in their uniforms, changing into regular clothes they can run around in while hunting mermaids. And since these are meant to be realistic people, not tall, waifish, yellow haired anime girls, it adds to the surprise of seeing the mermaids for the first time. They really are just normal looking girls in swimsuits, aside from their inhuman voices and expressions. It's even pointed out in a later volume how different they are from expectations. Akihito going so far as to draw a bedazzled mermaid with a fishtail, who someone is imagining. In Japanese, mermaid is ningyo, which is written with the kanji characters for human and fish. He really had a good time coming up with his own interpretation of a fish person. <laughs> Something I find really interesting about School Mermaid, aside from what I've already said, is that there are very few guys in it. 
Considering that these girls are committing what may or may not be murder for the sake of these boys, it's funny how we don't even know what most of them look like. They are objects for winning, which again feels like intentional commentary. For example, we only know what Yoshiko's crush, Ogura, looks like because Haruko goes out with him briefly at the end of chapter 3. And in a later chapter, we know that a boy called Morita plays soccer. (laughs) It's not until a much later story that we really meet any male characters. And that's because the girls who like them really like them as people, not just as a cute boy crush. These characters are in love with the idea of love, and they chase it with animalistic ferocity when they get the chance. As we see with Haruko, they're willing to sacrifice each other in the name of this so-called love. These are stories about raging hormones. (laughs) All the characters have extremely feminine names. That's true for all five volumes. And each story is named something like, in the case of Yoshiko and Haruko, In Japanese, names ending in ko usually are written with the Chinese character, or kanji, for child, and this creates a very youthful feminine name. For example, Haruko is literally written as spring child. There's also Yoshiko, Yuko, Nobuko, Toshiko, Mariko, Keiko, and Noriko, among others in this manga. The girls who don't have names like this are named things like Naomi and Misaki, which are also written with classic kanji like beautiful. One story features a character called Kaori, and the next has a girl named Saori. (laughs) Another girl is called Sakura, or Cherry Blossom. Basically, Akihito chose the Japanese equivalents of Jessica, Jenna, Sarah, Laura, Emily, Emma, and Olivia, or whatever names are really popular these days. Also, there are random silhouettes of girls who don't appear in the stories on the back cover of each volume, suggesting that there really are a lot of girls who have tried this, adding to the number of mermaids in the school. What I think we are meant to take away from this is the fact that these are completely normal girls who are capable of hunting mermaids, almost interchangeable. This simple fact is scarier than the mermaids themselves most of the time. These girls would have lived entirely average lives if the notebook never fell into their hands. In a more mundane way, it reminds me of a famous series called Death Note, whose genius main character has the capacity to become a force for good, a great detective like his father, but easily slips into a dark god when he's given the power to kill anyone he chooses. The motivation is good. Love in the case of School Mermaid and justice in the case of Death Note. But the artificial pathway to their goal is warped and strewn with the bodies of the innocent. At this point, I'd like to do a bit of an overview about the rules of this urban legend and summarize a few other stories. The ones that were written for the bound volumes sometime after Yoshiko and Haruko's story. To start with, We know there is a mysterious, western-style notebook floating around. It really is a bit like Death Note like that, isn't it? That includes various accounts of girls who saw the mermaids and learned about them. While the urban legend states that these mermaids are in the school pool, uh, and their flesh will make your love come true, the notebook clarifies that you have to stand by the pool and recite a chant, after which the mermaids will appear anywhere on campus. It goes like this. Ningyo-san, Ningyo-san, onegai shimasu. Watashi no koi o kanaete kudasai. Watashi no tame ni chii to niku o. Miss Mermaid, Miss Mermaid, oh won't you please, make my love come true. Give up your blood and flesh for my sake. What we learn in the first three chapters is that you cannot escape the school without consuming a mermaid's flesh, or you will become one yourself at dawn. This is information that Haruko withheld from Yoshiko, along with the fact that she planted the notebook somewhere she could pretend to find it in order to lure her classmate to her doom. 
Haruko honestly did think that maybe she could catch a tea mermaid with help, but deep down, she was sure that the real answer was to trick a tea surname classmate into becoming a mermaid she could easily catch. Let's look at some other stories. The first one is after Yoshiko's and Haruko's. It's the case of Toshiko and Naomi. These two girls have a very different dynamic. <laughs> Toshiko found the notebook, and Naomi stole it from her desk, thus figuring out what Toshiko is up to, trying to catch a mermaid so she can go out with a boy named Kimura. Very quickly, we learn that Naomi, one, is not a very nice girl, despite her pigtails and bows, and two, is Kimura's ex-girlfriend. While Naomi feels no guilt in stealing a knife from the hardware store, Toshiko is too meek to tattle on her. However, when night comes and they both arrive at the school at midnight, they both show another side to themselves. Toshiko is armed with many knives, determined to get at K Mermaid before Naomi, while Naomi is perfectly happy to attack Toshiko with the metal bat she ended up bringing. The race for a mermaid quickly turns into a game of cat and mouse as Naomi follows Toshiko through the school. While hiding, Toshiko gets spooked and accidentally stabs her mermaid who happens to be a girl she knows from school. She actually witnessed that girl turn into a mermaid, thus attaining the notebook that was left behind. At first, Toshiko is horrified, but she has to snap out of it when Naomi goes to eat some of the mermaid's flesh. Sunrise is upon them. Knocking Naomi aside, Toshiko gets a chunk of meat for herself, but again, Naomi's wrath is focused upon her. She wants Toshiko to die or turn into a mermaid, so there's no serious competition for Kimura's love. Unfortunately, the dead mermaid they have is wearing an S swimsuit, not a K, and Toshiko frantically tries to think of someone's name that starts with S, so she can eat, remain human, and escape her murderous classmate. In a moment of clarity, Toshiko realizes that Naomi's last name is Sato, and she eats the meat while thinking about that. Wondering what Toshiko is laughing about, Naomi also eats the meat since the sun is about to come up. Because of the magic of the mermaids, she now feels love for Toshiko rather than hate. However, what Toshiko forgot is that she too has an S last name, Suzuki. By thinking each other's names, the girls have now fallen in love with each other and forgotten all about Kimura. They kiss as the sun comes up and the disappearing mermaids smile. They return to school as blissfully happy girlfriends, passing the notebook along to Ohara, the girl who we later see in the case of Yoshiko and Haruko that we summarized at length. The final set of chapters in the first volume is the case of Misaki and Noriko. Misaki is a high school girl, while Noriko is a teacher who is well-liked by students, letting them use her first name sometimes. Misaki got the notebook from her friend in another class, who now has a cute boyfriend, and she shows it to Noriko-sensei in the hopes that the older woman will go with her to hunt mermaids. Although Noriko acts like it's all scary rumors for girls, she's intrigued. Who do you like? She asks Misaki. Someone athletic like Morita? Shyly, Misaki says that's right, then asks who Noriko-sensei likes. Perhaps Mr. Manabe, the English teacher, or one of the others? Noriko resents this, since all those men are a fair bit older, and leaves the notebook with Misaki, telling her that at 17 she's young and lots of love will come along. It's not something to get so worked up about. However, when alone again, neither of them seems sold on this. That night, Misaki recites the chant by the pool, shocked when she sees the mermaids, and pleased when she sees that Noriko-sensei has come to join her. The older woman is also able to see the girls in swimsuits. According to the notebook, any damage done to the school repairs itself at sunrise, so they break in to chase after the mermaids. 
Within minutes, Noriko has sliced open the neck of an S-mermaid, and Misaki is excited that they now can survive the night, but is shocked when the teacher turns the knife on her. Morita is mine, she says. She knew about the legend of the mermaids before, but never knew the chant, and this is her one chance to make Morita, the soccer star, love her. Misaki runs for her life. While hiding, she sees the M mermaid she wants, but for unknown reasons, the mermaid's smiles turn to frowns, and they bear fangs. Now Misaki is running not just from her teacher, but from the mermaids she was supposed to be chasing. The notebook never said anything about this. During the frantic chase, Noriko stabs an M mermaid when she meant to stab Misaki, but breaks her leg after falling down a flight of stairs. Nevertheless, she catches up with Misaki just as the younger girl is about to eat a chunk of meat, right before the sun is meant to come up, and wails like a baby when Misaki is able to shake her off and eat it anyway. Much to Noriko's surprise, Misaki brings her a piece of the meat, telling her to eat it. The truth is that she doesn't like Morita. Noriko is relieved, but it's too late. The sun comes up, turning the dead mermaid to sea foam, and Noriko-sensei turns into a mermaid like any other girl chasing a crush. Afterward, Misaki's inner monologue reveals that Morita was just a convenient stand-in with an M name. She actually likes Mr. Manabe, the English teacher, a much older man, and now she has his affection. Moving on to Volume 2, first is The Case of Mariko and Kaori. This is a shorter one about two friends. Mariko has been trying to distance herself from Kaori, who is always doing things for her, so she doesn't want to go hunting mermaids when Kaori suggests it after getting instructions from her old friend Haruko. It doesn't help that Goda, the boy she likes, prefers Kaori over her. However, her curiosity gets the best of her, and she shows up at the school that night. Kaori is already there, carrying a dead mermaid that Mariko is able to see after reciting the chant, and convinces Mariko to eat a chunk of meat so that she can go out with Goda and not turn into a mermaid. Mariko does so, but this triggers her anxiety about leaning on Kaori all the time, and she shouts at the other girl to stop interfering with her, running away. Kaori goes after her, but just then the sun rises, and she turns into a mermaid, disappearing. Evidently, she didn't eat any of the meat she worked so hard to get for Mariko. The next night, Mariko recites the chant and goes looking for Kaori, but when she finds her, the mermaid Kaori pushes her away, picks up her knife, and slices a piece of her arm off holding it out to Mariko with that same sweet mermaid smile. Rather than eat it, Mariko wraps a handkerchief around the wound and chooses to stay there with Kaori until the sun comes up and they become eternal mermaids together. Next is the case of Yui and Saori. I really like these chapters for the clothes, since each girl is dressed differently for comfort, be it a skirt and sweater or jeans with a zip-up hoodie. Saori is a pretty but common-looking girl, while Yui is beautiful with long hair and floating grace. They are close friends off to hunt mermaids together, with the understanding that they'll start by getting an e-mermaid for Yui so she can date a boy named Endo. When they reach the pool, Yui discovers that the notebook is missing, but fortunately, Saori remembers the chant. The hunt begins, but they soon come across another girl from their school named Reiko, the one who stole the notebook and also likes Endo. Now it's a race. Even worse, Reiko has dragged along her classmate Asami, yet another girl who likes Endo, to help her. After Saori and Yui have a fight and split up, Saori discovers Asami and encourages her to hunt for herself rather than help someone sneaky like Reiko. Unfortunately, Asami is too shy and does as she's told, going into the restroom to put on her e-swimsuit to act as a diversion while Reiko goes after the real e-mermaids. 
While in there, she witnesses the stomach-churning sight of the mermaids oozing out of the toilets and faucets, coming out in pieces, in disassembled organs, in amalgamations. As they form, they turn on her, baring their fangs. She runs for her life, but Yui mistakes her for a mermaid, not believing her cries because the mermaids begin copying her voice. Asami manages to run away again, only to be caught by the mermaids, who sink their fangs into her throat, dragging her away into the floor. This causes confusion and a fight, but the sun is about to come up. Saori tells Yui and Reiko that she killed an e-mermaid, and the other two girls rush to be the first to have a bite. Saori sits back, tired of always helping Yui. The girls battle it out, swallowing their pieces at the same time. Only the next school day will reveal the winner. In the schoolyard, Yui, Reiko, and Saori all see each other, then Endo. First, he walks past Reiko, then past Yui, and comes to a stop in front of Saori. Her inner monologue reveals that she manipulated everything, making sure Reiko got the notebook so Yui wouldn't be the only person after Endo, having never realized Saori liked him too. She even tricked Yui and Reiko into eating flesh from the wrong mermaid, drawing a line on the swimsuit of the F mermaid she killed to fool them. Unfortunately, the E mermaid that she caught while the others were busy happened to be Asami, the girl who was dragged away. Endo reveals that until recently, Asami was the girl he liked, but suddenly he realized how much he likes Saori. In the case of Hidemi and Nanae, we find ourselves at a different school with more classic school uniforms. Hidemi is an outcast, labeled as a delinquent by her peers, and she pushes away her handsome, popular childhood friend Taizo so he doesn't get ostracized along with her. Though she secretly really likes him and is sad to see him walking with another girl after school. Out of nowhere, the school nurse Miss Suzuki comes asking about who she likes, offering her the secret to seeing the mermaids in the pool and having her love fulfilled. Tempted, Hidemi recites the chant on a whim, but quickly storms off because the whole thing is stupid only to see girls in swimsuits standing around watching her as the sun sets. Miss Suzuki catches up, and only now explains that Hidemi will have to eat the flesh of a mermaid, not only to make her love come true, but also to avoid turning into a mermaid herself. On top of that, she is thinking of going after a mermaid too, so that she can seduce the boy in question. Hidemi tries to leave, but is thrown back by an unseen force at the front gate. Still, she can't bring herself to go along with this, thinking of Taizo's sweet smile. Much to both her and Miss Suzuki's surprise, the mermaids suddenly stop smiling, turn scaly, and slash at her with their claws. A new chase starts as the monsters try to catch her, though Hidemi is athletic enough to kick and punch her way through them. Miss Suzuki, though startled by how the tables have turned, is still in the game and comes after Hidemi with a knife. However, in the struggle, Hidemi gets away while Miss Suzuki's mouth gets slashed. Hidemi goes to her classroom to wait for the sun to come up or for the mermaids to kill her, writing a big love note on the board for Taizo to see when she's gone. The mermaids watch her cry and, frowning empathetically, do nothing as they disappear into the sunrise. Hidemi wakes up later in the nurse's office with Taizo by her side. She survived the night. Everyone has seen the love note, and he tells her that he likes her back. Meanwhile, Nanae Suzuki has disappeared, gone off to buy a new notebook, write the rules of the legend inside it, and give it to the unsuspecting girls wearing the uniform of a school we're familiar with. She's dressed in a hat, coat, and face mask, hiding her scars. I will cover one more story, one that encompasses the final three volumes. The case of Shinobu and Sakura is similar to the others at first. 
Two friends are headed to the school to hunt mermaids, having gotten the notebook from a friend who was successful. However, Shinobu claims not to like anyone, while Sakura refuses to reveal her crush. Both are a bit suspicious of the other for this reason. When the time comes to chase the girls in swimsuits, Sakura admits that she needs a Y mermaid, and Shinobu is off. She's smart about it, aiming for any mermaid that might be an easy catch in case they can't catch a Y mermaid in time. Suddenly, the mermaids transform into sharp-toothed monsters lunging at them, and Sakura becomes very angry and serious. While she got the notebook from a friend, she also encountered a woman in town wearing a face mask who told her another secret. If the boy a girl likes already likes her back, the mermaids will attack. So, Sakura has determined that her crush Yamada likes Shinobu, thus the onslaught. However, Shinobu jumps in just in time to keep a mermaid off of Sakura, telling her that she's the one the mermaids are really after. Just as Sakura realizes what this means, that Yamada likes her back, they are completely overwhelmed. Sakura is seized, her neck bitten, and carried away into the floor. Shinobu has no choice but to catch another mermaid, though she's able to simply lick the blood off the face of one. Just as the sun comes up, she sees Sakura as a mermaid smiling and watching her. The rest of the series focuses on Shinobu's struggle against Nanai Suzuki, the woman from before who now has to wear a face mask to cover her scars. I'll mention here that this part is based off of the famous myth of Kuchisaki Onna, the slit-mouthed woman, who in modern stories covers her wide, scarred mouth with a face mask. This is less scary in a post-COVID world, especially in Japan, but at the time School Mermaid was written, it was very relevant. <laughs> For a period of time, there was a real panic about this woman going after school kids, like the clown rumors in America a few years ago. Anyway, Shinobu can't just move on after Sakura's loss, because Nanai is tormenting her. At the same time, her friend Takaki is trying to see how she's doing, and a gay guy, Shutaro, is threatening to use the notebook he's gotten his hands on to catch a mermaid and nab Takaki for himself. Although men can't see mermaids, according to the notebook, maybe someone with the heart of a woman can. Apparently they can. Shinobu goes along because Takaki's surname starts with N, just like Sakura's. So Shutaro could very likely catch and kill her. She spends the night protecting the Sakura mermaid until Shutaro drops her down a flight of stairs. However, while he's off desperately trying to get an N mermaid, the Sakura mermaid sneaks back to Shinobu, giving her some of her own blood to help her survive the night. The mermaids have also written the letter Q on the blackboard as some sort of clue, which Shinobu ponders, only to witness Shutaro turn into a female mermaid as the sun comes up. I think this is a decent representation of a suppressed transgender character having the chance to fight for their crush like any other girl, and become a mermaid like any other unlucky girl. <laughs> this was nice to see, since Japanese media often portrays transgender people in a kind of odd way, or get them confused with transvestites. Refer to series like Oren High School Host Club and One Punch Man for gay and cross-dressing characters. It's not that they're inherently bad, but the overall trend seems a bit misguided. If they're a cross-dresser, it's just a style choice. If they're gay, they're man-obsessed. Anyway, in School Mermaid, the transgender character at first comes off as a gay he, later admitting that they feel like a girl inside. And while she is sneaky and a little creepy... In that way, she is a lot like all the other girls featured in these stories, who are willing to kill mermaids to force their crushes to like them. I thought this was going to be a gross misunderstanding of what a gay man is, but at the end of the chapter, she fails to catch, kill, and eat the flesh of a mermaid, so she turns into one herself. A physically female one. It's a rare, slightly happy ending, 
as her face lights up with realization. From here on, the mystery thickens, and I won't go into all of it. While it is interesting to see Shinobu work through the pieces as stranger and stranger things happen, such as Sakura returning to the human world by stealing the blood and bone of her crush Yamada, I really enjoy the earlier chapters that are so full of unknown danger. In that way, it reminds me of Attack on Titan. While I love learning more about the world, the earliest episodes are best when you have no idea what is going on. And I might as well leave a few mysteries unanswered for anyone who wants to read it on their own. If you're interested in the rest of the story, I'd recommend finding an English translated scan online or using the Tachi Yomi app. I'm not really sure how to petition Champion Red Comics to send this manga to the West, but hopefully School Mermaid will make it across the Pacific someday. So, why do the mermaids sometimes play with the girls hunting them, and why do they sometimes attack them? It takes a few rereads to be sure. To start with, Misaki in the third story is the first girl we see to be targeted. The mermaids lose their smiles, their mouths open unnaturally to reveal sharp rows of teeth, their eyes get round and fishy, and their bodies turn scaly with webbed, clawed hands, turning into real fish people. They only let up when one of them is killed. I believe this is because Misaki doesn't have a crush on a high school boy, going after the M mermaid because she wants to win the heart of Mr. Manabe. Meanwhile, Noriko may have graduated already, but she does have a proper high school crush. Any kind of high school crush is fine, since we see two different lesbian couples. Or more accurately, any kind of immature high school crush is fine. Noriko is a young girl at heart, just like Shutaro, the biological male. There is an important distinction about mermaids. They happily let themselves be chased in the name of unrequited, deliciously painful puppy love, but they attack girls whose love is reciprocated, or whose love doesn't make sense to them. They are jealous. This fact is obscured when Asami is killed while dressed up as a mermaid, which is also a big no-no. In another story, when Hidemi gets attacked, much to Nanai Suzuki's surprise, it is definitely because Taizo likes her back. When I first read this story, I thought maybe they were mad Hidemi was trying to escape, but I'm sure lots of girls try that, and there's no reason to chase them down when they can't get out the school gates without eating the flesh of a mermaid. They're actually jealous and angry, all of them girls who failed to be adored by the boys they liked. What sets Hidemi apart is the fact that she never tries to catch a mermaid, that she simply waits for morning. Their expressions as the sun rises are telling, sort of pouty and resigned, like they know it's wrong to torment a girl whose love is pure, who wouldn't force a boy to like her, who has already won the boy's affections, who was lured into reciting the chant rather than doing it of her own volition. Hidemi was willing to sacrifice herself rather than rope Taizo into a false relationship, not yet knowing he felt the same way. I'd hazard a guess that Nanai Suzuki targeted Hidemi because she's seen as a bad girl who the popular guy couldn't possibly like back. She's probably always enjoyed going after desperate girls with no chance. But this time, there really was a chance, so she witnesses the mermaid's wrath for the first time. Sadly, she doesn't stick around to learn about their compassion. I love School Mermaid. (laughs) It opened my mind to what horror really could be. A vehicle for terrifying ideas, fascinating visuals, and genuine moments of tenderness in a dark world. I know a lot of people think creepy children are the worst thing out there. The twins from The Shining, the girl from The Exorcist, the boy from The Good Son. But personally, I find teenagers much scarier. Rather than being pure beings possessed by evil or harboring evil, they are already volatile by nature. They're impulsive, they're strong-willed, they're not yet fully aware of consequences or the life ahead of them. They easily become addicted to feelings of love, excitement, disgust, anger, and sadness. 
everything seems to crumble around them when a crush doesn't like them back. Thematically, and sometimes stylistically, School Mermaid is a lot like Rumiko Takahashi's Mermaid Saga, while following a popular Japanese horror plotline that uses rumors or objects to carry the story from character to character. The Ring used this tactic by way of a video that is passed around and brings ghosts, misfortune, and death to each watcher. Curiosity killed the cat, that sort of thing. Many urban legends have been turned into horror films in Japan because contagious misfortune is a very popular trope. Bloody Mary-style vengeful spirits are definitely a favorite subject there. Other films include Teke Teke, about the ghost of a girl who fell on the train tracks and was cut in half, and now pulls herself along by her arms to attack students. The name comes from the sound Teke Teke, or Scratch Scratch, the sound of her body dragging on the ground. Another is Kuchisaki Onna, which is based on an old Japanese ghost story about a woman with a grotesquely cut mouth. We already mentioned that one as the inspiration behind Nanai Suzuki's injury. Aspects of the story also remind me of Dark Water or The Babadook. School Mermaid has a rumor going around a high school, a small notebook that gets passed around among the students, and a curse that's hard to get out of once you recite the chant. In general, I would say that Japanese horror agrees with me that teenagers are scarier than little kids because they are supposed to be upstanding young adults in sailor uniforms, when really they're vessels for dark thoughts, self-torment, and gullibility, liable to believe dangerous rumors and turn on their friends. That's not to say American horror doesn't feature teenagers. I especially like the movie Scream for poking fun at tropes while also crafting a compelling mystery with the real villain having little to no good motivation for their actions beyond a heightened sense of self-worth and intelligence that they think will keep them out of trouble. I just think that too often we hold up demon children as a prime example of horror when teenagers are far more capable of doing harm in real life. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this jaunt out of our usual vintage realm into the world of Japanese horror manga. If you got this far, I hope you'll leave me a comment on YouTube to let me know what you thought. Feel free to subscribe while you're there. Next time, we'll return to the usual four-book rotation, just in time to start the cycle over. Visit the Erica Brickley Instagram to see what we might cover and support the podcast. Until next time, bye-bye, Earthlings.